1: Is that your way of saying you want to go home now? (laughs) Oh, perfect lead-in to our series this month. My goodness, this is the joy of good news or joy's good news. We're leading into Christmas and Easter this month. You're going to experience Christmas and Easter all in one month. As we've been going through the Bible this year and the Bible project and our reading plans, we are nearing or should be very close to the Gospels in the New Testament. And um, as we navigate through the Gospels over this month, we're going to be looking at the birth, the mission, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. And there's joy laden in all of those different aspects of Jesus' life. There's joy at the heralding of the birth of Christ. There's joy in Christ's mission. There's joy even in the death of Christ, which is a complicated issue, seems paradoxical, but we'll unpack that. And then at the very end of the month, there's joy in the resurrection of Christ. So we want to talk about joy's good news Today we look at the birth of Christ. It's when we pull out at the beginning of our Christmas and Advent season in Luke chapter 2. This is when the shepherds are out watching their flocks by night. And the heralding angels come and they sing praises to God and declaring that there is to you born a Savior in the town of Bethlehem. And we're going to go through that in just a moment. At a conference at a Presbyterian church in Omaha, people were given helium-filled balloons and told to release them at some point during the service when they felt like expressing joy in their hearts. All through the service, during different parts and points in time in the service, balloons were released and ascended to the ceiling of the church sanctuary that day. But when it was all said and done, there were about a third of the balloons that were unreleased in service that day. See, all too often in life, we wait on joy to come into our lives through different circumstances or situations. We anticipate the next great thing to happen to us to make us happy. But when, when it does, it sometimes seems lackluster. Have you ever waited on something, you're anticipating something, and you think this is going to bring me great joy. But when it happens, you're like, it's not what I thought it was going to be oftentimes we think when i'm a teenager it went, think think about this when you're a teenager um, you think i can't wait until i graduate and life will be better <laughs> and we hear some of the young adults going <laughs> we think uh well when i get a career or get married or have children or get that promotion or when i retire then I'll have made it, and I'll have achieved this pinnacle of joy and happiness in life. But what is it at each stage of life? Oftentimes, and I hear this a lot, it's not what I thought it was going to be like. I thought there would be more to it. When I get to this level or I get to this stage, then it's all going to be so much better, and there's not going to be any problems, and I could just sit back, relax, and watch everybody else go through the daily routines and motions. Is joy really that elusive? Is joy in life really that elusive? See, joy is not elusive to the person who realizes that joy is not a pursuit or a feeling or an emotion, but rather it's a fruit of God's Holy Spirit that's produced in our lives when Christ is Lord and Savior of our life. I read a quote in the bathroom today, believe it or not, we have them over specific areas. And uh, Billy Sunday said, if your joy is leaking, or no, 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 if you do not have joy, (laughs) I just realized what that sounded like, I never, Mary Lou, our front office assistant puts these together, so I wonder if that was meant to be that way. If you do not have joy as a Christian, then you have leaky Christianity. (laughs) That's the best way I could put it, sorry. (laughs) But it is kind of ironic, it's over the urinal. All right. (laughs) To be an unjoyful Christian is an oxymoron. But I see a lot of unjoyful Christians in life. I've been one of them. You know, you get hit hard by life or circumstances, difficulties, and joy does seem elusive. But see, joy is only elusive to those who see it as an emotion. Well, I only feel joy when things are going right in my life. But joy is not a feeling or an emotion, just as much as love is not a feeling or an emotion. Love is accentuated by feelings and emotions, and so is joy. But joy is something we have in spite of our circumstances, Joy is something we are to have in spite of whether or not we feel happy in the moment. Though the two are tied together, they're not the same. There is no fruit of the Spirit that is, a, is an emotion or a feeling. It is an action. It is a living out of this production of something that comes through us through the power of the Holy Spirit, which begins with belief and faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. As we look at joy, we, we in the narrative of, of Christ, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we're specifically going to be looking at Luke's gospel this month. And we see specifically that joy isn't a thing but a person. Born in a manger in Bethlehem. Luke chapter 2, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation this morning. You can follow along on your screens, but I challenge you as students of the Word to actually bring your Bibles. If you don't have one, there's a pew Bible. You can take it with you. It is on the house if you don't have a Bible. Luke 2, starting with verse 8. Mary and Joseph had traveled from Nazareth in Galilee for a census to be taken. They had to travel back to David's home, or David Joseph's hometown, which was the city of David known as Bethlehem. They're in Bethlehem. But because of the census and people traveling back to their hometowns, it is packed. Bethlehem is a small town. All the hotels and inns are booked up. So the only place for them to stay that evening or for the duration of their stay was a stable. Stables in that day and age were not built out of barn wood and things like that. Instead, they were hewn out caves usually. Or they would build a cave, uh, hew out a cave or they'd find a natural cave and they would build troughs called mangers out of stone where they would pour water or put the hay and those kind of things for the animals to eat in. That is the only place they had to stay so next to all the animals maybe camels donkeys etc cetera, etc cetera, this very very pregnant woman by the name of mary actually young lady virgin more than likely 14 or 15 years old and her betrothed joseph are there in bethlehem and she starts labor and she gives birth to this Little baby boy, her first child, not conceived by human intervention but by the Holy Spirit. And we pick up the story that that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Why were they guarding them? Because there were any number of predators that would come along at nighttime wolves, coyotes, those kind of things that would seek to get a free meal while it was dark. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will be great, uh, bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. My guess is in Bethlehem that night, there was only one child, freshly born, lying in a feeding trough. And then suddenly the angel was joined with a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And then they hurried to the village and they found Mary and Joseph. And there was a baby and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying God and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. True joy was born in Bethlehem that night. True joy was born in Bethlehem that night. And from the true joy that was born in Bethlehem that night, joy emanates from that spot in Bethlehem all the way through to those who still believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their lives and have completely surrendered their all to him. As we look at the story of Christ as written in the Gospels in the New Testament... I want us to be able to learn about what joy is. What does it really look like? And in in, in this specific passage, here's what we learn. We learn, number one, there's a terrifying presence of real joy. How, How does this work out? A terrifying presence of real joy. Have you ever been so excited you passed out? Yeah, I, I remember uh, seeing, because I wasn't alive then, but this footage from the Elvis days when Elvis is on video and these girls are like, ah! and they pass out, right? The terrifying presence of joy. As awestruck as one can be to the point to where they're so excited, so elated to the point where they <gasps> Stop breathing. As you remember, a couple months ago in June, we talked about the two different types of fear in the Bible. There's a fear of the Lord, and there's a fear of man. I think they have the two fears wrapped up in one on the front end of this experience. They're out there tending their flocks. They've done this for years. Some of them had probably been out there for decades doing this. They had never seen anything like this. Can you imagine going about your business, you're doing your routines, you get so caught in a pattern of behavior that it's like second nature to you. You don't expect really anything. The biggest thing you have to worry about is what predator might be trying to get one of the sheep. And then boom, immediately something happens and someone in holy garb, glowing bright, is standing in front of you, standing way taller than you are what are you going to do have you ever thought of that experience before have you ever ridden a roller coaster I love roller coasters I love roller coasters so much and you know what part of the roller coaster I love so much is the first big hill put your stomach up in your lungs and your lungs into your throat and you can't breathe for those first few seconds coming down the hill. You're like, right? Some people are screaming, I'm, I've stopped breathing, right? And you can say, how is that even joyful? There's something in the rush of the moment in the fear of the adrenaline rush of coming down that first hill that just gives me a charge. I've seen people do those slingshot things. Have you seen the Funniest Home Videos where they pass out? (laughs) You've seen that? You know what I'm talking about? This kind of terrorizing fear in the presence of the angel of the Lord. Now, who is the angel of the Lord? Michael? Raphael? Leonardo? (laughs) Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? No, just kidding. (laughs) Who is it? Well, usually when you see the angel of the Lord is the presence of God. When you read the angel of the Lord, that means the presence of the Holy One. Sometimes he comes and manifests himself in burning bushes. Sometimes he comes and manifests himself as wrestlers in the night. Sometimes he comes and manifests himself as a presence of holiness, as an angel, a messenger of his true self. And so there the God of all creation standing before these shepherds who were lowest on the rung in society because of the uncleanness of their work. They're terrified. Scared to death. And then what does the angel tell them? Fear not. The terrifying presence of this angel of the Lord was there to bring good news. We rarely see the angel of the Lord. There are times, but we rarely see the angel of the Lord coming and saying, doom on you. The vast majority of the times when the presence of God comes, it's there to reassure us that he is God, that he is good, and that he loves And now the greatest manifestation of his presence has taken up residence with us. Being born as a babe in a manger, who will grow up in the city of Nazareth, in the region of Galilee. That joy, that very presence of God will emanate and ripple out, not just in his generation, but for every generation after that. And every generation before that looked forward to the joy of the coming of the Messiah. That's why the angel of the Lord says, yes, a Savior has come. Yes, the Messiah of the Lord. They knew about this Messiah. They knew there was a Messiah that was to come and that Messiah would set captives free. And there's joy in knowing that captives can be set free. The problem is when joy comes and the captives being set free aren't being set free in the ways that you think they should be set free. Because see, Jesus, not only born as a babe in a manger, grew up in a carpenter's home. Joseph, his stepfather, was a carpenter. He learned the trade of his father. And then at just the right time, he went off into the wilderness To be tempted by Satan. To begin his ministry, he comes out scot-free, nothing weighing him down. Gets baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, actually, he gets baptized, and guess what? He is the Son. The Father speaks from heaven, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descends like a dove on him. But he didn't come in military might, did he? He taught us to turn the other cheek. He taught us the way of nonviolent resistance. He taught us to stand firm in our faith. He taught us to run the race with endurance. And what he gives us to set us free is eternal salvation. And freedom from sin and death in this life. He didn't come to make you rich physically in this life. He didn't come to give you everything you want. But he does give you everything you need. And see, this is where the disillusionment comes and the joy fades is because we think we have this perspective of who Jesus should be for us and who God should be for us. And then we put these expectations on God that we shouldn't. God, I thought you were good. Why did you allow my loved one to die? God, I thought you were good. Why did you allow me to get this disease. God, I thought you were good. Why did I get fired from my job? God, I thought you were good. Why is the world in so much turmoil? And the problem is, we don't see things the way God sees them. We don't see the big picture God often sees, even in the story of Job, who's gone through one of the worst debacles of life that anybody could go through at the end of the book of Job. Job finally cries out to God, where are you? Don't you see my plight? I've been faithful. I've never cursed you like my wife told me to do to die. I've not done any of that. I'm an innocent man. Why? And then God gives a long treatise. Job, where were you? When I laid the foundations of the earth. Now see, God's not being snarky when he says this. He's not being a one-upsman when he says this. You know what he's doing? Where were you when I carved out the depths of the ocean? Where were you when I hung the stars and the planets and the moon and the sky? Where were you when I created the animals? Where were you when I made the highest peaks of the mountains across the face of the earth? You see what God is telling Job, though it doesn't look the way you think it should look, do you not think that I have ultimate control? Do you not trust that I see your plight and I'm there with you and they're going to bring you out of it? See, in God's putting perspective in Job's mind, he elevates the conversation to this place of, it's not what you expect, but it's still good. Good give it time. I'll see you through it. We see this calming reassurance of joy when the angel of the Lord says this, fear not. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Well, the angel of the Lord, more often than not, as I told you, brings good news, promises to people. But of course, there are times when he gives a word of warning and reprimand. We read on in the story that the shepherd's response was that they went immediately to see this child born in Bethlehem. This word of reassurance, listen, I'm not here to punish you. I'm here to bring you something pretty amazing. See, joy is a reassurance of something that we hope for as well. And after seeing the sight with her own eyes of this baby laying in a manger... They returned to their flocks in the fields, glorifying and praising God for all that they'd seen and heard. They didn't go back and say, well, that one's in the books, got the t-shirt. They go back and they are changed. They can't go back to life as usual, just tending the flocks, even though that's their job. They go back with a different mindset, a different perspective. They had the great privilege of living in this amazing time when God came to earth. They could not be the same from that point forward. They would come to find out over the next few years, the next couple decades or so, that this Jesus born in a manger would be the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world that he would be the once and for all sacrifice, that calming, reassuring moment that they remembered back then, they would remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross. You see what those shepherds did outside the city of Bethlehem, those were the Passover lambs that were being raised for the great day of Passover. And every year at Passover, the sheep that they had tended and raised, the spotless lambs would be, carted off into Jerusalem to be sacrificed. Isn't it amazing that the Lamb of God was born in Bethlehem, near the place where the Passover lambs, the bulk of them were raised, and then a few decades later, at just the right moment in history, that Lamb of God would die on a cross, That sounds tragic, and it is, but because of his death on the cross, we have joy for new life everlasting because he took every wrong thing you've ever done and nailed it with him there at the cross. He took your punishment. He took your shame. He took your embarrassment. The problem is we don't give into that joy by giving into Christ, and we tend to hold on to those sins. Have You ever done that? See, we don't have to fear if we give our sins away. We don't have to fear if we allow Christ's death to truly symbolize our forgiveness. And the only way that can happen is if you are completely surrendered to Christ. You can't just give part of yourself, half of yourself, three-quarters of yourself, or 99.9% of yourself. He takes all of you or none of you. Do you see how this works? And I have so many people in life that are willing to give up most of themselves, but not all of themselves, to Christ. And so they evade or, or don't, they, they sell out to joy because they're not willing to step into it fully. See, that joy that was born in Bethlehem cannot be fully experienced until you are fully devoted. And that's what we as a church are committed to, developing completely committed followers of Christ. Not partially committed followers, not just a little bit committed, not just mostly committed, but completely committed. And complete means whole. And you can never know the wholeness of completeness in life without Christ. And you can never know true joy if you are just mostly in You have to be fully surrendered. And there is good news that brings great joy. The good news that brings great joy to all people is the news of the long-awaited Savior, Messiah, who was born, who would take upon himself the sins of the world. See, the good news that produces the fruit of joy in our lives is manifested by the power of God's Spirit living in and through us as believers in Christ. Church, I could read my notes till I'm blue in the face. But unless you experience the risen Lord for yourself, unless you taste and see that the Lord is good, you can never experience this. How do you make it through a pandemic? How do you make it through racial tensions? How do you make it through riots? How do you make it through any of this stuff that's happening? Well, we got to rely on Biden-Harris, or we got to rely on Trump-Pence, or we got to rely on the Supreme Court. No! No! God forbid it. Because when you put your trust in man, you get what man gives. And it's usually not that good. No matter how good the person is, they are still human and prone to sin. But when you put your hope in God through Christ Jesus, then the power of the Holy Spirit takes residence and manifests himself through you by helping to bear this fruit of joy so that when you leave not only a place like this, but when you leave your homes, you take that joy with you. You take that joy into the places that are dark, that are scary. And people look at you and say, what is up with you? and they may even be terrified by your joyful presence because you should be the light of Christ in the world. The good news that brings great joy, yes, died on a cross, was born in Bethlehem, died on a cross and rose from the grave. If he didn't do those things, we wouldn't be here today. What do I mean mean by that? Would the world have been completely stuffed out? No. But if Jesus wasn't real, didn't come to the earth, didn't live a life we should live, die a death that we should die, and raised from the grave as the one and only Son of God who takes away the sin of the world, this church wouldn't be here. Believers in Christ would be nowhere to be found. But see, we have joy and hope because of what he did. We have joy and hope because he took a chance on us. He took a chance on us. And if you go back and you read these narratives, which you should be, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in your daily readings, here's what you find out. He took such a chance on us that by the time he was walking to the cross, everybody, even his closest friends, had walked away. You ever felt that way? You ever felt like you were the only one, that you were alone, that you were rejected, that you were betrayed, that nobody cared? This is why Isaiah can say, he is one who is acquainted with our griefs and sorrows. He's been tested in every way that we have, and yet he withstood the test, whereas we oftentimes don't. But his mercy and grace is good. Even when we falter, he is always faithful. And there's a reason for joy in that. There's a story told of a third century man who, while anticipating uh, his, his execution, penned these last words to a friend. It's a bad world, an incredibly bad world. But I have discovered in the midst of a quiet and holy people, in the midst of it, a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people are Christians, and I'm one of them. Let me ask you something important. Are you still holding on to your balloon this morning, figuratively speaking? When was the last time you felt joy? True joy, not just a fleeting happiness because something went your way for a moment. I mean, true joy. Has the occasion for joy in your life been elusive? Because it doesn't have to be. You can have joy unspeakable and full of glory. The key is to remember the source of that joy is only found in Christ. C.S. Lewis wrote, and I've quoted this before in other sermons, but I've just got to, I need to quote this again because I think it's so powerful. He says, our Lord finds our desires not too strong. Think about the desires you have even the sinful desires you have. He says, our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but rather too weak because we're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he can't imagine what it's meant by an offer of a holiday by the sea. He says, we are far too easily pleased You're looking for your next great high. And I'm not talking about drugs or alcohol. Because not everybody has those addictions. But you are looking for your next great high. It's going to be elusive because you can't find it apart from Christ. Don't let the world or your circumstances and situations steal your joy. Don't let what's going on in the world today steal your joy. Don't let what's going on in your home steal your joy. In your marriage, steal your joy. Don't let what's going on steal your joy. In spite of your circumstances, look to the one who has given true life, who has given you love, and who is true joy. Because apart from him, you're going to be scrambling. You're going to be searching. You're going to be longing. And it's never going to come up apart from him giving you something you truly desire. Christians should be the most joyful people in the world. But all too often, they are the most discouraged, downtrodden and sorrowful looking people the world has ever known David danced before the Lord Moses who stuttered stood firm for Christ or for God in the wilderness Ladies and gentlemen at their darkest moment the disciples at the sight of the risen Lord Shouted for joy. Where are you you at today? Where are you at? Because of the true joy that was born in Bethlehem, you have an opportunity for true joy today. As our worship team comes forward, I want you to start to think about this. If you are not experiencing joy, you're at the bottom of the barrel. Your life is empty, not full. So why don't you ask why? Ask the question why. And you're probably saying, I have asked why and I don't get any answers. Ask more specific questions. Lord, is my joy or lack thereof due in part or in whole to me? Because you got to take ownership, right? I have to take ownership. Nobody makes me do anything. Have you ever heard somebody say, you made me do that? No, because that is the same scapegoat as scapegoatisms that's happened since the beginning of time. It was that woman you gave me. It was a snake. That's what happens. We blame everything on everybody else, but we respond because of who we are. And the choices and decisions we make whether it's impulsive, reactive, or premeditated. You have a choice. Choose joy today. As I often say, you come to my right, your left. This is the non-social distancing alt- altar. If you want somebody to pray with you, you're coming to this side is indicating I want somebody on the prayer team or that is willing to pray with me to come pray with me. If you want to pray alone... And uh, be distanced. You come to my left, your right. But don't leave here without knowing the source of true joy. Don't leave here as a sourpuss believer or as a non-believer. Take in that baggage back out of this place and into a world that's just going to load more onto your back. Pray with me. Father, I love you. We all love you. Even some of those here who don't even know how to love well. We give you our lives. We ask that you would illuminate us to that true joy that was born in Bethlehem. Those of us that don't know it, those of us who find it elusive, I pray that you'd pull the veil back, drop the scales from our eyes, and help us to see that we can step into the presence of true joy and produce that joy in our lives. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Maine is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.